you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 122. Psalm 122. We'll be looking at that passage in just a moment. Psalm 122. <clears throat> it's good to see everyone that we have in town with us this morning. Uh, I'll, I'll just say, even though we're lacking a good bit of people, uh, I've, I've been encouraged by the worship so far, the singing. Uh, it, it's it's you know you expect with so many people out there it would be maybe a lot less a lot worse or a lot less but I, I tell you what it's been encouraging to be able to sing these songs it's not often that I get to sing joy to the world but I really love that hymn um, I know sometimes people will take that and take that and uh, you know distort its meaning especially around the holidays but I, I really love singing that hymn with with um, Christians I think that it's a beautiful message, and, and all the hymns that we've sung today, I just, I've just been so encouraged by it. Uh, I would just add before I continue on, I got a message from John Dryden uh, this morning, and he just said he was thinking about his uh, church family at Lakeside and wanted to say hi, and so I told him I'd give you that message. Um, it was good to hear from him. <clears throat> but as I've kind of been talking about the encouragement we've gotten so far from the worship, I, I would just like to ask you, now don't answer out loud, but just think in your mind as I ask this question, what, what, what do you think? How, how do you feel about the worship service so far? How do you feel about how the worship service has gone so far? How, how, I, I, I know it sounds bad when you ask how you feel because we don't like to trust our feelings all the time, which a lot of times we shouldn't. But honestly, this morning, how do you feel about what we've done so far? And how do you feel about what we are going to continue to do for the next several minutes? How about when you were on your way here? What were you thinking about? Or were you not thinking at all about what we were going to be doing? Were you maybe fighting with, with your spouse? Maybe fighting with the kids? Were you thinking about what we're going to be doing for lunch? Were you thinking more heavily about where we're going to be going and what you're going to order? Or were you thinking about the worship that we were going to be engaging in? I tell you what, one of my favorite passages, one of my absolute favorite verses is in Psalm 122, in verse 1. David says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I, and I tell you what, David, this is how he felt, and I think that he meant it. I don't think he was just saying this because it sounded good. David was someone who really meant it, who really felt joy in getting to worship. In coming to the house of the Lord. Now, can, can we say that? You read what David has to say there. Can I say that? That when I was preparing myself, when I was coming to this building to engage in the worship of the church, in the worship towards God, is this how I felt? Unfortunately, I think the reality is that many of us struggle with having the proper attitude, the right kind of attitude in this, a lot like David. But, but mainly... When you think about having that kind of attitude, I think it comes down to we need to ask ourselves a, a few questions. And one is just reconsidering how I am worshiping. How is it um, that, that I am engaging in the worship? What am I thinking about? And maybe just some reminders that we have to give to, to ourselves. What we must do is constantly remind ourselves how we should be worshiping God. I think, we, And I don't think there's ever a time where we can just start coasting. I think when we start coasting, that's the moment where we need to reconsider what we're doing and why we're doing it. 
Am I doing this for me or am I doing this for God? Now, obviously, from the very get-go, we all would say, we all understand worship is for God. God has commanded it. God deserves it. But when it comes down to the implications of maybe our thoughts or our actions, am I doing this really for God or am I doing this for me? So I want to consider that this morning. But first, before we get to uh, some of the ways that we worship today, the way we worship God today and commanded to, I want to first just remember the sole, re- the, the, the main point of worship. And first of all, that is not for me to feel better. This is for God. Over in Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, another, another beautiful uh, verse, another beautiful passage as it's prescribing glory and honor and thanks to him that sits on the throne. It says in verse 9, in verse 11, what were they saying? Worthy are you, our Lord, our Lord and our God, <clears throat> to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Now that's what's said in, in the end. When the victory is, has come, when God has finally had the victory over all things and has subjected everything uh, under, under Christ and has beaten death completely in the judgment, that is the finality of it all. God has the victory, and that is the praises that are going to be sung for all eternity. Now, you go over to back in the Psalms, Psalm 96. Psalm 96. I just want to read the first few verses here of Psalm 96. <clears throat> Psalm 96, beginning in verse 1. It says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. How do the psalmist consistently talk about God? Really, in the same kind of ways that you see the praise in in Revelation chapter 4. it's almost as if they can't help but worship God. It's almost as if they can't even fathom the notion of not having the attitude we read of David in Psalm 122. But what are we going to do? We're just sing, sing, sing. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation. Tell of His glory. It's not something that's kept in, but something that we are supposed to do. Now, I will just say from the beginning, this is not to say that worship does not benefit us. But that's not the point of this lesson. Worship absolutely does benefit us. It encourages us. There's a lot of good things about it. And honestly, you'll see hints of that as we go throughout the several passages throughout this study. But the main reason that we worship is not for us. It is to worship and bring praise and honor and glory and thanks to God. I like what J.R. has said before. A lot of times what we have done or what many people have done is turn the worship service into a worship serve us. I think that happens a lot more than maybe we give it credit for not just with denominational folks, but it's also with Christians who have lost the notion of why we worship. So uh, just, just a couple more passages here of what we need to remember and what I think would help us get to the right kind of attitude, an attitude like David, is remembering a few things. As we've already read that all glory and honor and praise is deserving to God, but you go to a psalm like Psalm 95 and verse 6, and it says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Now, we've already seen in another psalm how it brings us back to the notion that He is the Creator, in Revelation 4, rather, that He is the Creator. I think that's something that you never, uh, that, that that we can't allow ourselves to ever forget. That he is the one that made us. And he, was, he didn't just 
do that, you know, nonchalantly. Well, uh, uh, all right, well, here's another male or here's another female. No, there's beauty behind his design. There is purpose behind his design. He is our maker. He is the creator of all things. Without him, nothing is, and therefore he deserves praise. When we worship, we are coming into the presence of the maker. In Psalm 75, in verse 1, I wish we could read all of these psalms but in its entirety, but 70, uh, Psalm 75, verse 1, We give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks, for your name is near. Men declare your wondrous works. Do you think about worship in those terms, that we're coming into the presence of our maker, the creator, that his name is near, and that, uh, that end there should be capitalized. For your name, that holy name that's not to be taken in vain ever, do we, real, do we realize that, or maybe have we forgotten it? Do we need to reconsider what we're doing when we come to worship? So am I worshiping appropriately? Am I worshiping more so correctly? Particularly in our worship service today. I want each of us, individually, not to think about the other person or someone else that may come to mind. What am I doing? How am I worshiping today? Let's consider our worship service as we go throughout the rest of this morning and also when we're preparing to come back this evening. And as we come back on Wednesday, let this be a, a self-examination, a test of whether or not we are doing this the proper way, the correct way. So first of all, what I want to look at is prayer. We're going to look at all of these, uh, not in, to the same extent, but I do want to start with prayer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, very simply Paul says, you pray without ceasing. Now go over to 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I think just that commandment alone is, is pretty, uh, pretty hefty, pretty weighty. Pray without ceasing. The notion is don't stop. You continue to pray. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, look at what Paul says there. First of all, then I urge the, that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So from, I think it's a good place to start in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 because that is the thought, that is the expectation from God that we pray without ceasing. That it's not something that we're necessarily going to be struggling with. But I think already people, people already need to work on that. I need to work on that. I think that there is definitely room for, for uh, rather we need to adjust, there's room for, to better ourselves in that. But then you come to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and then things get a little bit more difficult because he's saying that this is something we need to be actively engaged in and not just when it's easy but as we're praying for kings, as we're praying for the authorities. Now, this is a commandment from God and this is something uh, that he is very, I think, em that he emphasizes often throughout the New Testament and even in the Old Testament. But is it enough to God if we just go through the motions? And you already know the answer. Of course not. Is it enough to God to just pray because that's what we're commanded to do? Or, as David was going over in, in the adult class not too long ago, talking about being devoted to prayer. Is it enough to just go through the motions and just say a prayer because that's what the Bible says? Or, is there more expected of us? And I think that there is. You remember what it says in Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13? That, that yes, they draw near they may say the right kinds of things, but they are far from me. With their lips, with their words, with their mouths they draw near, but their heart is far from me. 
And I think it's the same way when we're just going through the motions and when we are just saying prayers by rote and not thinking about it at all, not thinking about what we're doing. God wants us to understand that we need prayer and that we should be grateful, thankful for it. You think about just the blessing that prayer is to us. Go over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In verse 6, what does he say? To, to, to Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. In everything. So it kind of goes back to what we started with. Pray without ceasing. But look at what encouragement you find there. God does not say, when you struggle even with something like doubts, don't you ever come to me. In fact, he says, I want you to come to me. You need to come to me. And that is where you can find some encouragement. That when there is anxiety, when there is doubts, you can come to me in prayer and you can cast your burdens on me, as, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 7. That's what God wants. And we should be we, we should be moved and touched by that. But not only is it a blessing, there is an absolute necessity that we engage in this. Over in Colossians, just a couple pages over, Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. I think that's interesting. First of all, you have that same notion, devotion to prayer. But he goes a little bit further. Keeping alert in it, in prayer, with an attitude of thanksgiving. Why might we need to be watchful in prayer? Paul says something very similar in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. We won't go over there and read it, but it's very similar to what we read in this passage in Colossians. Why might we need to be watchful in prayer? Well, for one instance, because I think very simply, it's very easy to, as we were talking about earlier, just go through the motions. It's very easy to just do it by rote. And not really pray for the things that need to be prayed for. The things that we need to be asking God for. Inwardly for ourselves and even for the brethren around us. Now, with all that being said, once again, I want to come back to where we started. How am I worshiping? Am I praying for self or am I praying for God? You know how we can, you know what's a good test to see if I'm praying not for God but for myself. When people start saying things like, Oh, my goodness. Every time he prays, it's always so long. Or every time he prays, he always prays so slowly. Are you, are you thinking about God there? Or are you thinking about some minor, minor little things, little details that are taking your attention away from God? It's the latter, obviously, isn't it? Or what happens when someone goes up and they're offering a prayer, the opening prayer, or we're, we're praying for the worship, uh, or, or, and that we do everything in a scriptural way, in a way that pleases God and glorifies Him, or even the closing prayer. Somebody goes up and they offer that, and, and, and I just don't like him. <laughs> That's unfortunate for many reasons. But pertaining to this study, why is that unfortunate? Because now what are you thinking about? Just I, I can't stand that guy. And you know what? Everything he says is probably just a lie. And you know what? I heard how he was talking just the other day. Are you, what are you doing? You're not thinking about God. And I would say, if that's us, maybe we do struggle with some individuals. But remember who he's praying to. Where we started, the maker whose presence we are in. The, the one whose name is near. Clearly, we've forgotten that. If we're thinking about all of these 
carnal, worldly things that have nothing to do with our worship to God. If we're praying for God, we are going to be actively listening in the prayers for things to agree on. Something that I've picked up from, from somebody else who, who uh, is a mentor of sorts, he, he, he talked about how someone that used to teach him and have Bible studies with him, he said that this man would, would as he was listening to the prayers, his mouth would be moving. And, and silently, you didn't hear anything. But finally he went up and asked him, he said, what, why, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm, I'm looking for things to amen. I'm looking for things to, to say, surely, surely, let it be done while someone is up there praying. I tell you what, if you are focusing on looking for things to amen, and I'm not saying you have to do it out loud, but you're focusing on things to say, yes, God, let this be so. You're not going to be thinking about these stupid things that are taking our minds away from God, these carnal things. You're going to be thinking more about God and His glory and praise and thanks to Him. So am I praying for myself or am I praying for God? Only you can answer for yourself. But another thing that we need to think about is, is the preaching and the teaching. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, going back to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 13, he says, Until I come give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Now just from reading that, what we find is that not only is there a need to teach, not only is there a need to exhort and give attention to public reading of Scripture, but on the other side of that, what that means is people are listening to that. If it's a, the public reading of Scripture, of course there are people that are going to be listening to that. There is this divine expectation and demand that we are listening to what is taught. And just understand that just because you know we're not singing or praying, teaching, preaching, that is a part of the worship. In Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9, look at what Jesus says here. Matthew 15 and verse 9. I know that this is in the middle of, the, of a rebuke, but we do learn something here. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9. <clears throat> As he's rebuking the Pharisees and the scribes that have, are always trying to test Jesus and always trying to find loopholes around how to actually worship and, and do uh, justice to the scriptures. Beginning in verse 7, he says, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is, a, is a, far away from me. In verse 9, In vain do they worship me, teaching its doctrines, the precepts of men. Now what does he say? This isn't worship. No, he says this is worship. What he's saying is they're do, what they're doing, even though they're worshiping, it doesn't mean anything. It's meaningless. And it's because of the way that they approach the God's law. It's the way that they approach the commandments of God that He has given to them. They're always trying to find the loopholes. But what we see there as a secondary application is this is worship when we are teaching and when there is preaching being done. We have to understand that because I really believe that sometimes we just think, well, that we have a temporary pause of the worship and then when the invitation song is sung, now we're, now we're resuming. Everything we're doing within this hour until the closing amen, till that closing prayer, everything we're doing is a part of the worship. Everything you see on the screen is what we do. And there's a reason for that. Now, how do we participate in this? Because obviously when there's teaching or preaching being done, there's predominantly only one person talking, right? Especially in the, with a sermon. In a Bible class, even though there's going to be more discussion, there's still one person that is designated to be that speaker. Now, over in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. I think this helps us understand how we participate. 2 Timothy chapter 4, because we absolutely do participate, even though we may not be the one, uh, the main uh, one talking or speaking. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Just listen to what Paul says here. As he's speaking to a young evangelist, 
Timothy. He says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. And he just continues on to talk to Timothy about, but, but you remain patient. You endure the hardship. You do the work of an evangelist. Don't let that stop you. Now, I would just say, just like we said from the beginning, what's the other side of this that we are expected to, to hear? I'm not saying the speaker. Hear the word of God. Now, from, immediately from this passage, what we find is Paul gives us the bad attitude right off the bat. What is the bad attitude? Well, it's itching ears. And I tell you what. I, I really believe that itching ears is not just, as, even as we've talked about as an example in the Bible class, just ripping, just ripping pages out of the book. There are very subtle ways that we tend to have itching ears. I, th I think one way that this is indicated is when people are looking to be moved more by the teacher, the Bible class teacher, or more by the preacher than God's word. More focused on the delivery maybe than they are the reception of of holy scripture. That is one way that we have itching ears. And, and let me just say, this is not to say that illustrations or short stories aren't helpful. They absolutely are. Jesus gave parables time and time again to describe what the kingdom of God was going to look like. It is helpful. But if we cannot connect to God without a cute story, and that's a problem. If, if I can't feel for God are, can I really say that I am participating, that I am partaking in this worship appropriately when I need something outside of the Bible to make me feel anything for God? I, I don't think that is the right kind of attitude. I don't think I can say that I am worshiping appropriately. I think that's an indicator that we have itching ears. Now, the flip side of that is just the opposite of what Paul says here. Not having itching ears. People that are listening properly are the people when the Bible class begins, they're engaging. You know what else this looks like? It looks like people who are not just engaging in the Bible class, but also preparing beforehand. That means reading Hebrews chapter 2 before this morning. That means reading Hebrews chapter 3 before the next Sunday morning. That means if we have material that someone has prepared, whether it be, you know, like the material that, that, that Brother David was going through or material that they have created themselves, just discussionary questions, that means you're going to fill those out before you get here. This means people are trying to learn, not just memorize. Because let me tell you something, sometimes one of the most subtle temptations is memory. Well, I know what that says. I know what John 3.16 says. Yes, but maybe you need to go back to look at the context again. Maybe you need to go back and read what the purpose is that Jesus was making behind that teaching. Memory can, can really hurt us sometimes. We need to go back and make sure that we're really trying to learn it, not just able to say it very quickly and really absentmindedly. That's not what God wants. The good attitude when it comes to not just Bible class, but when it comes to the invitation or the, uh, on Wednesday nights or the lessons that are prepared in this pulpit. What, the way we don't have itching ears is, is making sure that we are longing more for sound doctrine than just Reader's Digest stories that kind of maybe pet things up a little bit. Again, I'm not saying it doesn't help. It benefits us at times. 
But we, we need to be longing more for the word than the word of man. Am I asking, am I more focused on the message or am I more focused on the PowerPoint? Am I more focused on maybe the substance of scripture or am I more focused on the lack of eloquence or the eloquence that's there? I tell you what, we can have itching ears more easily than we think. We need to be careful of that. Am I participating the way I should be? Well, not only that, but we also participate in the singing. At least we should be over in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Another very important passage that we love. Colossians 3 and verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, there are so many things that we could take from this. There's just a couple things that I want to know. First of all, what does he say that we're doing while we're singing? Well, we could go back to the previous point. There's teaching involved. There is admonishing that's going on. We are teaching and edifying one another, our brethren, as we sing these songs together. Now, I, this is something that has always disturbed me and frankly baffled me, is when I look around sometimes, I'm not saying necessarily this has happened today or even last, but, but what I'm saying is there has been several moments where I've looked around and I've seen Christians not just visitors, but Christians in the middle of whether it be the invitation song or a song that's being sung, and they're not singing. How do, how do we justify that? Let me ask you something. What's, what's the greater sin? Singing and adding instruments into the worship or not singing at all? Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter. Both are sin. We need to be participating. We need to be engaging. When God says he wants us to sing, that doesn't mean, well, if you feel like it, or maybe if you feel like you're a good singer, he says, you participate, you sing. Can we edify our brother or sister if I'm not singing? Are we, more than that, can I edify my brother or sister if I am singing, but it is clear, there's just obvious disdain behind every word. Do we really... Do we really mean the words that we are speaking, the teaching that's being spoken as we go through those hymns? We need to be careful that we're not singing with lying lips. Go over to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Not only is there teaching and admonishing going on, but I'll tell you what, what we also see from Colossians 3 is that there's supposed to be some level of, of joy and thankfulness in this. We are supposed to be invested in what we're doing. Psalm 100 in verse 1 beginning, it says a psalm for thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. It sounds so much like Psalm 122. This longing to be in the house of the Lord. Joy, glad to be coming into the house of the Lord and to be participating in this kind of worship. And you know what? Back then, not everybody was able to participate in the same kind of ways. Not everybody could go into the inner courts like the Levites or the, or the priests could. But you have someone like David saying, it doesn't matter, I'm glad to go and I'm glad to be able to give what I can. That is a beautiful attitude. It's someone who's invested. Not someone who's anxious to be done, but rather too enveloped in worship to our God to even care about what's coming after. Or to be thinking about what's coming after. Or do you have, sometimes you'll see people 
during the during the worship service, during songs, just messing around. And I'm and you know sometimes something happens. I understand, and maybe there's a laugh or two. But I'll tell you what, when it happens over and over again, and you have people pinching one another, you have people kind of just talking like this, and then and then you get back to, and then they go right back and talk like, are you worshiping God appropriately? I think we've forgotten whose presence we're in. There was a, I was talking to someone actually. Uh, it was actually Paige's cousin. He he was he's been teaching a Bible class um, in in uh, Indiana, and he was he was talking to a woman who was actually for, who had of African descent. She she came from Africa, and obviously the the worship service is a little bit different. They would come together and they would sing for hours. And it was because they couldn't get here as easily. We can get in a car and we can just go back home in 10 minutes or 20 minutes even. But it's not so easy for others. And so when they come together, they really want to take advantage of the time they have together. And not just together, but to God. Sometimes, sometimes people complain about the singing. They complain about the song leader leading every single verse. And I, I am not opposed to people, you know, skipping one verse or another for, di for, for different reasons. But I'll tell you what, I don't think I'm ever going to complain about someone leading every single verse because there's a story, there's a purpose behind each verse. This is a whole unit that we're trying to get a, a message across here. But sometimes people get so mad, oh, he just has to lead every single verse of every single song he ever leads us in. And we're just so frustrated. Here is a woman who, who comes to another Christian and says, this is so different than what I'm used to. She would go and she'd sing for hours. And you know what she actually said to him after the, the morning worship service? It was a lot like ours, five or six songs that were sung. She came up to him and she asked, that, how would you respond? She said, do you think that mere five songs were worthy of God's praise today? <laughs> I, I tell you what, it, it's not going to be the same it's not going to be done the same way in terms of like the order of, of, of the worship service. Everything is going to be the same because we're getting it from the Bible in terms of everything you see on the screen. But it's not going to be the exact same. Like the time we spend or maybe the, the, uh, the, the order of services I've already mentioned. But here's a woman who says, how can we not give more time? How can we not give more energy to this? How can this be enough for God? Just five songs? That, that was her thought. And it struck me because we have Christians from time to time who get mad because they look at their watch. I've even seen it. Look back at the clock. And they're thinking, oh, hey, hey, the 60-minute mark is up. What are we doing here? What are we doing? What are you doing here? What are we doing here? We're worshiping God, and all you're focusing on is the time that we're spending here? And this goes not just for singing, but across the board. If all you're focused on is getting out of here to watch the game, if all you're focused on is getting out of here to get to lunch, then you're not focusing on God. You're focusing on yourself. And here's a woman who says, I, I don't care about any of that. I'm, I, I would love to be here even longer. That's, that's dedication. That's the appropriate kind of attitude. Do I have that kind of attitude? Am I worshiping God appropriately? Or am I worshiping more so for myself? You think about the communion or the, or the Lord's Supper. What is the point of that? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse, 20, uh, uh, in verse 23. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, 
He broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup also after saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What's the point? We are proclaiming the Lord's death. We are remembering this memorial that has been set up by Christ himself of a death that is almost indescribable of the, when you think about the weight and the glory behind it. Uh, not enough time can we spend on meditating and contemplating that. But what, what Paul says is, the reason he brings this up is because people, in Corinth especially, in chapters 10 and 11, there has been some confusion here because there, start, there are people that are, that are partaking in unworthy manners. You go to verse 27, just picking up where we left off. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. You see how serious this is? He's saying you are eating and drinking destruction to yourself. If we are not partaking in, a, in the appropriate, the correct way. And I'll tell you, this isn't, just, this isn't just done in one way, but in a variety of ways. Again, just I would encourage you, look at chapters 10 and 11. There are so many issues that they had that they were not, they just weren't taking this seriously enough. They weren't coming for the reason of proclaiming the Lord's death, but for all kinds of other reasons. Now, it may not be the exact same reasons in, in, as in the first century in Corinth, but I'll tell you what, there are people that definitely partake in unworthy manners. I remember one time, this was a while ago, we were, we were in the middle of, it was a beautiful prayer and we had, we had partaken of the bread, and we were just sitting there. We were contemplating the, the broken body. It, it was a good moment, and all of a sudden, what you hear is the clip-clip of someone clipping their fingernails. First of all, that disgusted me. Secondly, how dare you? How could you think so little of what's going on here? Would you go to someone's Someone you're close to, the, their relative, their loved one has just died. Would you go to the funeral and then begin clipping your fingernails because, hey, it's not going to be rude? Or would you be thinking, I probably should wait to do that because that's going to be disrespectful? Yeah, it's disrespectful. How much worse when we are thinking about the death of Christ? But that's happened before. And, and it continues to happen from time to time at different places. Or, or maybe not, something more subtle. Eating the bread, we've done the prayer, I've eaten the bread, now I'm just going to text or get on social media, scroll through until we partake of the fruit of the vine. Until we get to the, once we get to the prayer, I'll shut it off, of course. But I've already eaten the bread, so let's just keep, I'm just going to keep scrolling through. That's not the appropriate manner. Or maybe even more subtle, showing partiality to brethren. Having issues that we have not settled before coming to worship. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? You have a gift. You leave it at the altar. Don't go forward with the worship until you've made things right with your brother. But how many times do we let things go because we just don't want to deal with it, and then we come to worship, and what have we done? We are worshiping after promoting or after just allowing division to ensue. That's not the, 
appropriate way to worship. Finally, you think about the contribution, the collection of the saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, just a couple pages over in verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. That is a commandment. Absolutely, that's something that we are not allowed to just forget or neglect or ignore. But continue on in verse 3. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at how he talks about the collection. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Remember that word, gift. But in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 1, you continue with this same notion. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. Are we viewing the contribution, our contribution, as just something we do, something that we don't really have to think about, or are we viewing it as support of the work of God? It, it was used as a gift for those in Jerusalem. It was used as a gift and support of the saints for, the, for needy saints. But guess what? It is ultimately a support. It is ultimately engaging in the work of God. It's not something that he just says, well, you know, it, it, you're, just, you're really just putting it in just to keep the lights on. No. That's not the point. And I, I think that when we start going down that path, we start looking at it in a business kind of sense. This isn't like a business where now that we've given some money, we're shareholders now. And now we get to make some decisions based on that fact. Because now I'm a shareholder, I get to make some decisions. No. The decisions have already been made, in fact, on how to spend that money. The decisions have already been made on everything that we do. God has already made that clear. But I'll tell you what, when we start viewing it this way, when we start going down that path, I think it ultimately leads to people who, when they get upset, when they feel like maybe their voice is not being heard as much, well, I'm just going to hold back because you know what? I'm not being represented. It is not about you being represented. It is about making sure that we are giving with joy to perpetuate and continue the work of the Lord. What a great blessing that we have to be able to do that, to participate in that. In verse nine, uh, chapter 9 and verse 6, he says how we're supposed to do that. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Once again, this is not something God is okay with us being indifferent about. He says that we need to be a cheerful giver. And that means, one, not grudging, but it also means not absent-mindedly. But how many times, how easy is it to just put the check in, put the, put the money that we withdrew in, without thinking anything at all? We need to rethink how we are worshiping. We need to make sure that we are not thinking more about ourselves, what I can get out of this, but more about what we can give to God. How am I worshiping God? Have you been thinking more about Him? I would say, Christian, remember 
the true servant of God does not focus or say after, after, the, after we have a morning service, a worship service, after the evening worship service, after the Wednesday night, whatever the case may be. The true servant of God does not go out and say, well, I didn't get anything out of worship today. No, the true servant of God rather says, God got everything out of me today. That's what the real servant of God does. Is that how you have been treating worship? If you have, keep going. That is the proper way that we do things. But if you've been thinking more about, I'm not getting anything out of it. What I would say is three R's. Reconsider what we're doing. Refocus your efforts and repent. Because we may be worshiping sinfully. If you are not a Christian, though, understand, and this is not to be cruel how I say this, but understand that your worship is meaningless if you have not done what God commands you to become a Christian. Are you willing to hear his difficult but beautiful words? Are you willing to be faithful to him, to make a confession based on that faith, to repent of your sins, everything that he says you need to do away with? Are you willing to allow Christ to wash those sins away in baptism? If you are willing, you're ready. And then you can start worshiping God in the only and best way you ever possibly could. If you are subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please come forward and let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.